This is Armed Forces Weekend, and if this weekend is celebrating your service, if you're with us in this room, would you please stand so we can thank you publicly for your service for our country? Could you please stand? Thank you. Uh, it, is, it is a blessing to, to live in a county such as uh, Kitsap County where we are surrounded with heroes. And I'm just so grateful. About a month ago, we, we updated our church to kind of a prayer and desire we believe God is wanting us to, to go in is to add a third service, but a unique service, a Thursday night service. And we set a, a launch date potentially of September 14th, that Thursday. And, and so, but we said, I said very clearly, we're not going to launch this until we have the, enough people serving so that, that we're not burning out the people that are already serving in guest services and on our tech and our worship ministries. So if you would like to, you know, say, hey, I'm going to commit to be part of this launch team and serve in some capacity, not, again, not every Thursday, but on a rotating basis, please go to our website, find our third service page, and then you can see all the areas that you could um, possibly join. Again, I'm gonna, I'm, I promise our teams, I promise our people, we are not launching the service until we have an adequate number of people to make the service happen. So be in prayer about this, and if God's leading you to jump in and uh, help, that would be awesome. Well, today we begin a, a new series called A Church in Crisis. This is probably not news to, to many of you, is that the American church is in crisis. The American church is in crisis. Uh, the attendance is plummeting. Uh, there's infighting, there's worship wars, there's distractions, there's misplaced priorities, uh, there's empty buildings, there's powerless pulpits, all sorts of things going on in the American church. American church, many, many, many churches are answering questions no one's asking anymore. There, there's, they're married to church methods and programs that have been long past their expiration date. But no, we're going to keep doing those because that's what we've always done. The churches across this country are avoiding controversial cultural issues that have biblical responses, but they're avoiding saying anything because of fear, afraid to upset people, afraid people might leave, and people are left wondering, well, where does the Bible stand on this issue? Churches are in crisis. Church, the, church, the American church is in crisis because for decades, way too many moral failures have been hidden. Too many instances of Abuse, sexual abuse to children and adults have been concealed. And that is to the shame of all Christian churches. A lot of churches today are replacing biblical theology, moving that out of the way in its place, are teaching woke ideology. And the power of God is being removed on many churches. Here's a great quote that I agree with from Greg Crochelle. He says this, if you listen co closely, you can hear the alarm. It's blaring. 
and its tone is growing louder and louder by the second. The American church is in trouble. We are clearly losing ground we can't afford to lose. What's at stake is not the future of denominations, church buildings, or the jobs of pastors. That's not at stake. What's at stake are the souls of thousands of people who don't see any need for Christ, much less his church. Jesus hasn't lost his appeal, but his church has. Now the good news is that there are healthy churches that are thriving today. The common denominator of many churches that are thriving is that they're not inward focused, they're outward focused. They have their eyes and hearts and prayers to reach their community for Christ. In healthy churches, the gospel is centric to all that they do. And in these healthy, healthy churches, they're seeing people accept Christ as their savior, get baptized, growing spiritually, and lives are changed, families are changed. God's at work and the power of God is evident at those healthy churches, but healthy churches are becoming a minority. I saw on social media a number of times this past month, this, something along, along this line is, if the Apostle Paul were still alive today, the American church would get one of his letters, which I would say, we already have it. It's called 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. The church at Corinth, the church at Corinth lived in a decadent society, in that Roman Greek society. It was very decadent, very immoral, very perverse. And the church at Corinth received three letters. We only have two. Three letters. And Paul was addressing problem after problem after problem in the church. And the problems that they were facing line up almost exactly to the, promise, the problems we face here in America. So if you have a copy of God's Word, turn to 1 Corinthians as we begin this study. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on the back table you can borrow. Or if you don't have one, you can have it. Or you can have a Bible app and, and join us in this series. Now, I've been honored to be a pastor at this church for a combined 27 years, and I thank God for that. And so, well, thank you. Thank you for putting up with me. Today, over the course of my time that God has had me here two different times, today we are healthy. God is at work. People are accepting Christ. In fact, since January, we've had 65 people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And uh, after today, we have close to 25 so far have gone public by being baptized this year. So we're praise God for that. But here's, here's I say that, that we're a healthy church, and I say it cautiously. Why? Because the health of any church can change quickly. All it takes, starting with leadership, is to shift our focus off of Christ and his word. And it'll shift fast, fast. I've said this many times since I came back in 2005, that there is a gravitational natural pull for churches to drift toward insider focus, that all we are concerned about is us. We're not concerned about people that are dying going to hell. We're, we're just focused on us. And an insider church focus, what it leads to 
is arrogance, apathy, and more arguments. But when we get our eyes off of ourselves and try to do the mission and vision God has called us to do, we still have issues, still have problems because there's human beings that go here and work here, but we're more healthy. So I believe this series over the next several months is relevant to us today. Let's begin real quick, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, this is saying who wrote this, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Now we often just say, well, Paul wrote Corinthians. Well, he did, but he had a co-writer, Sosthenes. Now, just the fact of understanding their background shows you the power and life-changing power of the gospel. Paul was once a persecutor of Christians. He hated Christians, hated the message of Jesus, and went after believers. And then he met Jesus. Sosthenes was, at one point, the ruler of the synagogue in the city of Corinth, and he persecuted Paul and other Christians. And then he was converted. So here you have the example of the power of the life change of the gospel of the two writers who were once persecutors of Christians. Let's jump down to verse 10. It says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, that means believers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Uh, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas, means Peter. Still another, trump card, I follow Christ. Verse 13, Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? The answer is no. Paul brings up early on in this letter the big problems that is reoccurring in this series is you're not getting along, you're divided. And you're polarized by who you follow. Who rings your spiritual bell? And we do the same today in churches all across America. I am of MacArthur. I'm of Piper. I'm smarter than all of you. I am of Driscoll. I am of Furtick. I am of Stanley. I am from da 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 And if you dare email me and say, I'm of Barry, I will laugh at your email and delete it. <laughs> Please, no. Is Christ divided? So easy for us as human beings to start dividing and polarizing ourselves. And we look at our culture, oh, it's so polarized. And Christians do the same thing. But we think we're, we're better because we're, we're talking about spiritual stuff. And there's divisions. Now, cancel culture is nothing new in the church. There's been cancel culture in churches for generations. Meaning, if you don't agree with my positions 100%, I want nothing to do with you. In fact, I don't want anything to do with that church because they, they're doing it all wrong because they're not doing it the way I prefer it to be done. So we cancel friends, churches, segregate people away from us that have a different perspective, different preference than us. Well, we don't call it preference, we call it conviction. 
What this church needs more of is verse by verse, book by book teaching, because that is the only way, the biblical way of teaching God's word. <laughs> Some say that. I have heard that often. And others, uh, well, no, we don't know. We, we need more engaging messages, more stories, more, we need more relevant topical issues. Now, if you're new to Grace Point, we have a variety of all of those three in different ways. But if you just, you can humor yourself, go in the New Testament and, and study every message Jesus gave. And he chooses two out of those three. So watch yourself. Watch yourself. Here's the bottom line. Christ and Christ alone is the author and finisher of our faith. Period. End of discussion. There should be no division. Now, I wish that I had the accent of Alistair Begg. I wish I had his accent. I wish I had a photographic memory like John MacArthur. Man, I'm envious for that. I wish I had the intellect of Tim Keller. Lord, thank you for him. But I've lined up many years ago and chosen, I'm just going to be Barry. Because that's who God made. <laughs> Faults and all. Things that you like, things that just irritate you. Thank you for your grace. But I am going to be who God made me to be, teach how God made me to teach, and desperately pray and seek God's direction every time I teach. I can be no one else. We're going to come back to this issue because it keeps coming back in this letter, and because it's a problem all through American churches. But here's the first crisis we're going to really central in on. Here's for your notes is this. A church is in trouble. I don't care the name, the history, the legacy. A church is in trouble when it leans on man's wisdom and forgets the power of Christ crucified. This is the first major issue that he brings up in chapter 1. A church is in trouble when it begins to lean on man's wisdom and forgets the power of Christ crucified. Join me in verse 18 through the rest of the chapter. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I, God, talking about God, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Who is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block for the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than any wisdom and the weakness of God, which actually he has none, none is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. That was huge in that, that era. 
But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. And that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Period. Now, man's wisdom is often not wise at all. Man's wisdom is often foolishness. But in our culture that is moving farther and farther away from having anything to do with God, it sounds so deep, so wise, but in reality it's pretty foolish. Verse 20 says this, Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? I think God has a sense of humor. And he says, oh, these human beings, they think they're so smart and so wise. And let me just make their wisdom seem foolish. Now, here's some examples of foolishness in our culture that sounds so deep and so wise. Here's one. All roads lead to heaven. Didn't that sound, oh, so spiritual? All roads, all the different religions, they all lead to the same place. If you do a brief study on world religions, you will understand that is intellectually impossible. Intellectually impossible. They all go different directions. And they all think there's, their direction is right. It's foolishness. I've said this many times, I'll keep saying it because it's absolute foolishness. Just follow your heart. Need to make a decision with relationships? Just follow your heart. That's idiotic. Because feelings are fickle. They will lie to us. And, and if you follow your heart, financially, watch out. Relationally, watch out. It usually leads to bad things happening. But we hear it all the time. Just follow your heart. The Bible says our hearts are wicked. Don't do that. Here's another general one that sounds so wise in our culture and so intellectual and so smart and deep is that everything in our detailed, you know, complex universe happened by accident. Random chance. And if you go, um, I disagree with that. If I look at Everything is so complex and organized and detailed. There must be some type of intelligent design. Our culture will laugh at us. They do laugh at us. That's foolishness. But it's, it's actually foolish to say everything that is so complex and detailed just happened by random chance. Let's be a little intellectually honest. Now here's the last one that we have been swimming in in a culture and it hasn't been that long. Now the word is that science now tells us, science now tells us that gender is fluid and non-binary. Okay, we don't want to worry about the science of biology. We definitely don't want to go down the science of DNA. 
And in our culture, that is like, now that is wise. That is so inclusive. It makes no sense with biology. It is in conflict with DNA. But in our culture, that comes across as wise and to say, otherwise you would be called a fool and a bigot and an angry person. Lord help these young children having surgeries that will forever change their body and their life. Let's wait 10 years. I'm, I believe it's going to be very, very sad. But verse 18, let's go back to the focus here. Paul says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. So not only is wisdom, man's wisdom not wise, man's wisdom will not lead us to God. Actually, man's wisdom will not lead us to God. It actually leads us away from God every single time. And the more we are steeped in man's wisdom and churches are going this way, you're just getting farther and farther away from God and the power of God and the blessings and benefit of God's characteristics. It will lead us away from the truth. It's not wise. Verse 18, verse 18. It says, for the message of the cross is foolishness, though. To those who are perishing, those who are headed away from God, headed to an eternity apart from God, that in, in, the, in the end will be completely separated. That's word, the word meaning for death, separation. And they'll be separated from God forever in a place that was never designed for human beings, a place called hell. So it says, it's foolishness for those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, rescued from damnation, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. Let me give you several reasons why. The cross, even in its foolishness, trumps man's wisdom every single time. Why? For your notes, the cross itself is God's saving event. The cross itself is God's saving event. Saving. We, we lost that meaning of the word salvation, save. Meaning we are headed toward damnation, separated from God because of our sin. And when we trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross, we are saved from that destination. We are rescued from that and set on a complete different path. We are rescued and saved from it. But the cross is God's saving event. Now, he does lots of things, but the cross, without the cross, there's, there's just hell. There's forever separation from God. Now, for the Jews, the whole idea of a Messiah going to the cross, that's a stumbling block. I am subscribed to several YouTube channels really directed toward Jewish people and reaching Jewish people. And I've seen hours upon hours of these interviews, people on the street, either in New York or in Jerusalem, to Jewish people. And they have a, they have a block, mental block of the thought that their Messiah, no, 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 our Messiah doesn't die. Our Messiah comes back and is a political deliverer and sets up our, our kingdom. Our Messiah doesn't die. Then these Jewish believers, Old Testament passages that predict that the Messiah indeed suffers and dies for the sin of mankind. But to the average Jew today, that's a stumbling block. Paul said that thousands, a couple thousand years ago. 
To the, to the Gentile, meaning anybody who's not a Jew, it's foolishness. Especially in our culture today, you've got to be saved at the cross. Uh, that's foolishness. Why? I don't need a Savior. I'm not that bad. And, and, and human beings, we like comparing ourselves to other people. Hey, I, at least I'm not like her. At least I'm not like him. And comparing to other people does not work with a holy, righteous God. And so it's foolishness that we would need to be saved because we're not that bad. We actually do pretty good things. It's a stumbling block. It's, a, it's foolishness. Here's a second reason why the cross is so important. It's the only way to be reconciled to God. The only way to be reconciled to God. Why? I'm going to walk you through some pictures here. You can use this and share this process it yourself. We are separated from God because of our sin. Sin separates us from a holy God. Now sin, again, we're not used, not used much in our culture. Sin in its original meaning means missing the mark, okay, or missing the standard, missing the expectation. All right, God says to be truthful, and we lie. We've missed it. And, and like several times a day. Uh, the, 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 the standard is to, to be pure, and we lust, and we lust, and we lust. The standard says love others, and we're selfish. See, we, we miss the mark all the time. That's why we are called sinners. We do it all the time. Like many times every single day. And sin requires payments, and the payment was the cross. So our sin of ourselves separates us from God. But in our own human effort, we think, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to God our own way. You know, we'll try, we'll try good works. We'll, we'll try to uh, have, be, you know, moral. We have moral, you know, good morals, and we judge ourselves. Go to the next slide, please. Uh, moral life. I'll go to church. I mean, obviously I'm going to get some points there. God's going to grade it on a curve. And if I get enough church points, then I'll reach heaven. But all the things we try to do to reach God, we will fall short every single time. Because we're humans. We're not holy. We're not perfect. We are far from it. The only bridge from us to God happened at the cross. And the only way we're reconciled, Jesus on the cross died and he paid for our sins so that we can be reconciled to God. And those who do that will spend forever with God in heaven. That's why the cross is so important. It is the only way to be reconciled to God. Now, the third example of why the cross is so important and a church is in trouble when they forget it or they stop teaching about it is the cross is the ultimate expression of love. It's like, how, how, could, how could God, a loving God, you know, send people to hell? God doesn't send people to hell. They send themselves. They reject God's free gift. It is the ultimate Expression of love. Romans 5.8 says it so clearly. But God demonstrated his own love for us in that, in this. While we were still what? Sinners, Christ died for our sins. That is the reason Jesus came for the first time. Not to be a cute baby and have Christmas. He came 
to die for our sins because God is holy. He's like the sin of mankind needs to be paid for. It needs to be atoned. So I need to do that. I need to pay the price. And that's why Jesus came. First John says this, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his own son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now the Jewish audience would get that. Atoning sacrifice. What is that? Well, in the Mosaic law, there's all these small things they needed to do and these sacrifices they needed to give often involved blood and it would cover, that's what atoning means, cover the sin for a season, for a short time. But then they had to do it again and again and again and again. And God said, I'm going to send the perfect sacrifice, the perfect son of God to be the sacrifice to atone, to cover his blood, covers all of our sins. You can't love someone even more than that. So if anybody says, how can a loving God send anybody to hell? He doesn't. He loves us. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Now, American church is in crisis because many churches are leaning into man's wisdom and man's wisdom and approach to the problems in life and are forgetting the power of Christ crucified. Now, I'm gonna share some warning signs, not just for this church, because I don't know when Jesus is gonna be coming back. My calendar this week is wide open if he wants to come back this week, okay? I'll, I'll, I'll clear, clear the deck. But if Jesus continues and, you know, Another pastor, whenever God, you know, all pastors were replaceable. Whenever God does that, I'm going to say this. We've got to be careful because any church can just shift courses quickly, starting with leadership. But God has placed our church here in the crossroads of the military in Kitsap County. People come, people go. People get transferred. They stay here and transfer on. So here's some warning signs if God moves you for whatever reason, military-wise or job-wise or relocation, because you're chasing grandbabies, uh, what to look for in a church or warning signs to look for. The first one is this. An unhealthy, un, un, really shifting biblically church is they don't teach about sin and the solution to our sin problem. That's a red flag if they never talk about sin. And they never talk about we have a sin problem. But let me tell you the answer to that. That is a church in crisis. They are going to be missing the power that comes with teaching about Christ crucified. Watch out for that. Watch out for that. The second is this. They don't proclaim the message of the cross. What it means. What it means. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and a song is played about the cross, and it does nothing to you, you have a heart problem. If it's a Sunday of communion, and you're like, oh, another Sunday of communion, you have a heart problem. When the Passion of Christ came out in the theaters, I was in Southern California as a youth pastor. We rented an entire theater 
I think we had 250 high schoolers. We sold out. We had more that wanted to come. We sold it out, packed it out. And I grew up all my life learning about the cross and having communion and the blood and singing songs about the power and the blood and all that. But I'm in this packed theater. It visibly was portrayed through Jim Caviezel, my savior getting pummeled, his flesh being ripped. Motion overwhelmed me. And all throughout the theater, we began to weep. And all that could come out from me is, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for doing that for me. And from that moment on, every single time we have communion, those pictures, I force those pictures to the surface because I don't want to forget what the cross was proclaiming, that a perfect son of God, out of love, died for my sins. Hope it never gets old to you. Watch out for churches that just stop proclaiming it. Now the next one is not a political statement, it's a spiritual statement. Watch, warning sign, is that the heart of the gospel shifts from sin and redemption, it shifts to social justice and social reconciliation. It's a little dicey because justice and reconciliation are Bible terms. God is a God of justice. That is why Jesus is coming back the second time, to finally bring justice to a broken, evil, sin-packed world. And he's not going to come as a cute baby. He's coming as the king of kings, lord and lord, lord of lords, with the robe dipped in blood, with the sword, on a white horse, coming to, to, to take names and kick butt and take Satan and caught, toss him out and to deal with evil once and for all. Amen. So God is about justice. And God, the reason why Jesus came is reconciliation. But in man's wisdom, when we get distracted with good, with good intentions and we, we replace sin and redemption with social issues, watch out. Watch out. I believe that a redeemed, reconciled person spiritually will have the proper perspective on justice socially and will hate racism and they want everybody treated with love and respect because Jesus died for them too. And we'll have a heart of how can we reconcile. And the, the real lasting sustainable reconciliation has to be spiritual in nature. First, first, but watch out because this is happening more and more and more. I close with this story, true story. Just, I read it just a few weeks ago, added it to my notes, so we're done. It was a guy who was training to be a church planner. And he said um, that he, he had a neighbor who did not know Jesus, and he struck up a friendship. And they said, we had lots of conversation. He goes, I spent all my time talking to him about the, about the just, you know, how, how Jesus truly was the Son of God, and there's historical empirical evidence, and the resurrection, and all apologetics. And he said, we had so many intellectual conversations, which is awesome, which you can have. There's great resources out there. But that's all he spent his time on. Then it was time for him to move and go to another town and plant a church, and he moved. But he said his friend never trusted in Christ. 
Then he heard sometime later that his neighbor, another friend invited his neighbor to his church. And he goes to the church and that church that Sunday preached on sin and the cross and the need for a savior. And his friend, his neighbor trusted in Jesus Christ. And then his wife trusted in Jesus Christ. And then every one of his children trusted in Christ. And he realized, hey, I'm a church planner. And I was like, I was focusing, I mean, it's, it's, it's important, but I was focusing on the wrong thing. That we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior, and Jesus is our answer. And when we could easily shift to something even good and miss the power that comes with Christ crucified, that's how people are saved. That's how people can get changed. Then we have all the other conversations that help us that we don't have a blind faith, that we have a faith we can stand on in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to close with prayer. And I'm, I'm going to, I cannot preach this and not give someone an opportunity, because I don't know everybody's heart, an opportunity to trust in Jesus as their Savior because he died on the cross. Because that would be pastoral defrauding. For to teach about it and say, oh, now let's close in prayer. Have a good day. Would you pray with me? They have a head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. If you are here today, you have never once trusted in Jesus as your Savior who died on the cross for your sins. Rose again because he, had, he proved that he was God. Today is your day of salvation. To be rescued from the path that you're on, being separated from God forever. To trust in Jesus because of what he did on the cross. If that's your heart's desire, from your heart to God, say something like this to him. Dear God, I'm a sinner. My sin has separated me from you. And no matter how good I try to be, it's never good enough. So by faith, I trust in Jesus as my Savior who died on the cross for my sins. And then rose again, proving that he was the Son of God. So by faith today, I say yes to Jesus as my Savior. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, I'll ask you to please raise your hand high so I can see who trusted in Jesus today for the first time. Can I see your hand? Yes. Can I see your hand? Amen. God, may this church never drift from the message of the cross. That we talk about it, we teach it, we sing about it. Because it was your choice to have that event for salvation. Lord, may, we, may your hand of blessing be on Grace Point as we stay lined up with you and your word. We're, we're a, f a church with faults and failures. We don't do everything right. We're sure trying. But God, we want desperately your power and your blessing. Help us to stay true to your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we say amen. Amen. Amen.